0: We've been talking about the Book of Genesis, uh, and Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's uh, the beginning of uh, the relationship, or the beginning of the story of God's relationship with each and every uh, one of us as individuals, and uh, and with all of humanity um, as well. And we really tried to see God at work uh, in creation. Uh, That's what we saw at the first part of it, and really try to see God at work uh, through uh, His plan to redeem all people uh, back to Himself. Because uh, when we talked about Genesis three, Adam and Eve did what. Uh, the opposite of what God told them to do. Uh, They did what was contrary to what God wanted them to do. And so they changed, because they sinned, they changed the whole course of our relationship with God for the rest of our existence on this earth. And so so far we've talked about a whole lot of things. Uh, we've talked about like the image of God, how each and every one of us who is uh, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, we've all been created in the image of God. We've all been created to mirror God's attributes, God's expressions, God's characteristics uh, within ourselves and to other people as well. And then we also talked about how uh, there are so many people, there are atheists, agno- people who don't believe in God, agnostics, people who, you know, maybe sort of think that there's a God but are not fully, uh, not don't fully believe that, and even followers of Jesus uh, who asked a lot of questions about creation. You know, if we, we're being taught evolution, what do we do with evolution in our schools? What do we do with it with our faith? How do we reconcile those two things? What do we do about dinosaurs? How old is the earth? All those kinds of questions. These are a lot of questions that people are asking in our day. And so we as Christians have to have an answer uh, for these kinds of questions. And then we talked about Genesis chapter 3. We talked about Adam and Eve and how they uh, ate of the fruit of the tree in the garden. Uh, God told them, don't eat of this fruit. And they did exactly that. They ate of that fruit that they weren't supposed to. And so they sinned. Uh, But in that story, we still saw God's grace. We still saw that God uh, still loved them, that God was still going to find a way to redeem his own people, even though they committed this sin against him. And so the encouragement to us is that even with our sin, even when we mess up, even when we do the opposite of what God wants us to do, that God's grace is always there, that we can be redeemed, that we can still be saved. And then last week, we began talking about Abraham. And Abraham is one of the greatest examples of faith that we have in the whole Bible. And so we we saw his sort of some part of his life where we saw him respond to God. He responded in most times uh, in fear. Uh, he responded in doubt to God and self-protection. Uh, like he, he lied several times just so he could take care of himself. Uh, but in Genesis 12, we saw that he actually responded in faith. Uh, when God told him to go to a place he didn't know anything about, Abraham still went. Uh, and maybe this was the first interaction he's ever had with God, but yet he still obeyed, he listened, and he went to this place. And so today we're in Genesis 22. Uh, we're skipping again a whole lot, because uh, last week we sort of covered some of that stuff. Uh, but we're going to Genesis 22, um, and I want to start with a question uh, when we, uh, as we get into this chapter. And the question is, is, what are you willing to do for fill in the blank? And that could be anything. What are you eager, what are you prepared to do anything for? What are you willing to do just about anything for? So whatever that, you can fill in that blank with just about anything. And I think in our time, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. So uh, I think in in our time and in our culture, I think we can fill in this with anything, fill in this blank with just about anything. And I don't know what it is for you, but I think in our culture, I think maybe we say, what are you willing to do for love? All right. So a lot of us, at one point or another, we uh, put ourselves out there, risking rejection from the other person. Sometimes we were rejected. We didn't end up marrying that person. We married somebody else, or whatever else. Maybe we dated somebody else. Uh, so we put ourselves out there. We risk rejection. So we're willing to do that uh, for love. And on the flip side of that, uh, we're also there's also a negative aspect of this part, is that some people are really desperate for love. They're really desperate to feel love. So some people are willing to pay. Uh, they're willing to invest all their time in and money, money and uh, into buying love. So prostitution's really big in Nevada. Uh, pornography, you can find most of it for free online, but you can pay for some of that stuff as well. Depends on how desperate you really are for that kind of thing. And so people in our day are willing to sacrifice their money. They're willing to sacrifice their uh, reputation so that they can have love. They can feel love. They can uh, have this, uh, this uh, sort of deep desire met even if it's, this, it's through some way like that. And now whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I think we're willing to do a lot for love. Now success is another thing we can fill in in that blank there. We're willing to give up a lot for success, and our world tells us that we're, we should be willing to give a lot to be successful. We give up our time. You know, time is very precious to us. Time, we're never going to get it back, so whatever you spend it on, you're, ne- you're never getting it back. But to be successful, you have to be willing to give all of that up give up all of your time just so you can be successful. We're also willing to give up stability for success. You know, we all have families and we're willing to risk uh, coming home to a wife, coming home to our kids and making sure that they have a good foundation in the home. We're willing to risk that so that we can be successful. And we're also willing to risk our personal lives or to give up our personal life so that we can be successful as well. Oftentimes, when you try to be successful in life, you, we try to um, uh, we, we put loved ones on the back burner. We neglect them. We don't pay attention to any of them. Uh, and so we're willing to risk all of that, our family, our loved ones, so that we can be successful or at least look successful. And so whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, I think we're willing to give all those things up to be successful. Now, maybe you fill in that blank with family. You know, what are we willing to do for our family? And I think if I asked each and every one of us in here, we would all probably agree or all be on the same page that we're willing to do anything for our family. So for a family to be safe, a lot of us are willing to give up our lives so that our families can be safe. While a lot of us are willing to work a lot of hours so that we can provide for our families as well. And so whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, we're willing to give up just about anything for our families. And so I don't know what, is it, what it is for you, how you would fill in this blank uh, for yourself. But I think whatever we fill in this blank with, I, I firmly believe that whatever it is that we fill it in, whatever we're eager to or prepared to do anything for, I think there's usually some kind of benefit uh, to, to us uh, in doing it. So, for example, if you really think about it, when we uh, do anyth- what we're willing to do for love, you know, if we do that, do all the things we want to do for love, uh, we, we feel uh, that inner desire met in us. Our anxious heart are, sad, are, are satisfied. They're content because we have, we have found love or you know, you're dating someone or you married someone or whatever. Success. You know, if we, if we, we look at that, there is some benefit to that. We look you know, good uh, to everybody else uh, in the eyes of the world and our families are well cared for if we are successful. And now our families, if we uh, really think about that as well, if our family is safe, our family is happy, the benefit is, is that we have a, again, a well-cared-for family. We also have live full and satisfied lives as well. And so I think, in my opinion, there is in most cases a benefit uh, to the things that we're willing to do just about anything for. And now as followers of Jesus, you know, there is no doubt that there are benefits to following God. Uh, We're told Revelation 21 uh, verses 4 through 5 tells us that there's going to be a time coming where there's going to be no more pain, there's going to be no more dying, there's going to be no more crying, there's going to be no more grief, anything like that uh, in the time that's coming when heaven comes down to earth. So we're promised a really good future. We're promised eternal life in the future. In the present, we're promised the forgiveness of sins. We're promised love, joy, peace. Uh, we're, we're, We're promised also the very presence of God that can be in our lives as well. And so a lot of us who've been Christians for a long time, we've probably heard a lot of messages on, you know, the benefits of God. You know, the benefits of following God, what we sort of get out of following the Lord or following Jesus uh, in our lives. And so knowing these benefits, you know, a lot of us, or some of us, were willing to, uh, to leave our past life of sin to follow God. A lot of us were, were, were thinking we were, we were going to hell and you were really scared about that and so you wanted to give that up so that you could follow God. And a lot of us were willing to step out of our comfort zones uh, to move for a job or to move wherever we believe God was calling us to move towards. So maybe it was a ministry or maybe it was just you know, be closer to family or whatever else. Just really following where God wants you to go. But to be honest, I think we all follow God because there is some sort of benefit for it. There's some, something in it uh, for us. But, but what if there wasn't any benefit to following God? What if, at the end of the day, all we got was God? What if there wasn't anything else in it for each and every one of us? And what would we do? Would we still choose to follow God if he told us that you need to give up all your money, you need to give up all your stuff, you need to get up, give up the very thing I gave to you, gave to you, Or the very thing that I called you to, that's the thing I want you to give up. Would you still follow him? And so that's the thought I think brings us to Genesis chapter 22. You know, so far we've talked about the life of Abraham. We sort of, uh, I've given highlights last week about, you know, just sort of what his life has been so far. He hasn't responded always perfectly to God. And Abraham has been the focus for the last 11 chapters from Genesis 12 all the way up to Genesis 22. And he goes on even further. But this is the main part of his life. And Genesis 22 is sort of the the highlight, or excuse me, I should say the climax, or the high point of Abraham's life. Because in this part, in this chapter, Abraham is going to be tested uh, very strongly by God. Because all along, Abraham has sort of had this promise to lean on. You know, since Genesis chapter 12 and even throughout the chapters after that, God would always restate or reiterate his promise to Abraham that he was going to have descendants, that he was going to have a future, that he was going to have a hope uh, in the future for him. But now what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 22 is that this promise that God gave him is actually in jeopardy, that there's a risk that this promise is going to be no more. It's going to be nullified. It's going to be void. It's going to be canceled out. And so if you, maybe you're familiar with Genesis 22, so that's where we're going to read uh, right now, and Larry, if you could uh, um, follow along with me, that'd be great. All right, we're in verse one or page 29 in the Chinese English Bible. So starting in verse one, it says, "Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, "Abraham, here I am," He replied. Then God said, "Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah." sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father or said to Abraham, father, Isaac spoke. Wait, we're reading that again. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The father and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities uh, of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So, now I'm not sure if Abraham really thought about it this way, but I think when you, when you look at his life, I think it's pretty clear that a lot of what he did, a lot of what he had to rely on was a promise that God had given him. That God had told him since Genesis 12, you're going to have descendants, you're going to have a future, there's going to be a nation, your name is going to be great uh, from this point forward. Like, I'm going to make sure of that. God is going to make sure of that. And so in every instance that Abraham had, he had this promise. So when, he, when God told him to go, Abraham went. And in some other instances, maybe he didn't respond perfectly. Uh, God, the promise was still there. And even whenever he's uh, sort of uh, trying to negotiate with God to try to save uh, Lot and his family, uh, he had to muster the faith in order to do that. And so I think he felt the confidence in uh, in order to speak to God, uh, because there's this promise there, that there is this hope, that there's this future uh, for his life. Now, we'd see throughout his life that God was going to restate that. God was going to reiterate this promise over and over and over again so that Abraham would know without a doubt that he was always under this promise, that he was always going to be taken care of so long as he was keeping God uh, in his life. And then when we get to Genesis chapter 21, and we didn't talk about this last week, but in Genesis 21 is where Isaac is born. And this is the son of the promise. This is the the promise that God made. You're going to have descendants. You're going to have a future. This is it realized. A kid is actually born. The kid that's going to carry on this promise for after Abraham is is long gone. He's going to carry on this promise uh, for him and for God. And so that promise was realized in Genesis chapter 21. And so I think that symbolized for him, I think it symbolized like stability, uh, that he could rely on God's promises and so I think that, that's kind of really what we see there. But when we get to Genesis 22, the tables are sort of turned. Uh, the promise now seems in jeopardy. You know, we just read the story. We, 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 well, we know the end of the story, but we don't know what Abraham was thinking as this whole event is really playing out in his life. And we don't know how long this took place after Isaac was born. We're just told in Genesis 22 that sometime after Genesis chapter 21 that Abraham was tested. And now, it's not like a, like a test. Like a, some of us are in college. It's not one of those tests, a test of knowledge. He's not trying to see what he knows about God or anything like that. He's really trying to test what he's made of. Uh, in our culture, in our time, we have this phrase, you know, see what you're made of. You know, so if you were to say, if I were to say go and parachute off of an airplane or something, you would really see what you're made of. You'd see if you're really... Yeah. Azim has done that? Yeah. Great. What were you made of? Were you courageous or were you scared? Let's move on. That's not right. Okay, so if you were to go parachute off of a plane, you'll find out what you're made of if you're a very courageous person or you're a very scared person. So that, that's something that we, we we commonly say to see what you're made of. And so that's what God was really trying to do to Abraham. He was really trying to test his faith to see what the value of it was. If, he, if what he, be- he said he believed really was what he what it was he believed that it actually turned into action it wasn't just a good saying it's like i believe in god i trust in god no he wasn't it's not just a good saying he wanted to see that in action in his life and now abraham uh, was open and receptive to god because we saw that he's just doing all this stuff. Uh, He's getting all the wood together. He's getting the knife together. He's got the getting the stuff prepared for the fire, getting the thing to actually bind up Isaac. So he's really receptive to what this, what God is asking him to do. Now, oftentimes I think in the Bible, I think we often put like how we would feel uh, into the story. And sometimes that's correct. Sometimes if you, know, if, you're, if, you, if you remember like disciples were on the boat and Jesus walking on water, some of them were scared or some of them were afraid of the, the waves or whatever. Yeah, we would probably feel really scared as well. So that, that's fine to do that. But in this particular case, you know, oftentimes I think we say, well, that's, a shock, that's really shocking. Like I, why would God ask him to sacrifice his son? We think that's like illogical. Like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, like, you know, why would this God require a, kid, a child sacrifice? But in his time, it actually wasn't unheard of. Uh, for him to do that. There was a God named El, who God of uh, fertility or whatever, and so oftentimes he would ask people to sacrifice, or no, he wouldn't, but they would think he was asking, uh, for them to sacrifice their grain, their animals, and even their children. So in this time, that wasn't unheard of. And so I think for him, I don't think it was shocking at all that God was asking him to actually do that. But what I think was shocking was the fact that this promise that God made to him, and, you know, they were old, they couldn't have kids, and now they have this one kid who's the child of this promise is about to be killed. I think that part of it was probably the most shocking thing for him. And throughout this story, I think we we see the determination of Abraham uh, to do what God's asking him to do. And I think we also see the commitment of Isaac to actually follow through with it. Now, if we were to put ourselves in the story, I'm sure we would wonder like what the conversation was like as you're kind of going up the mountain and there is no sacrifice to be, something to be sacrificed. And so it's you and your son. And so you don't know exactly how all of this is really going to play out. And so Isaac, I mean, him to, for him to be able to carry the wood up this mountain, I mean, he's got to be old enough to probably resist Abraham if he really wanted to. But we see that he is really confident in what his father's asking him to do. And so he's putting his whole life in his father's hands. He's trusting that whatever's going to happen, it's all going to work out for the good. And so we don't know what Isaac's thought process was, but we know he's seeing this whole thing through. And now Abraham is confident though, that this whole event, this whole story is not going to end with the death of his son. Because when he tells his servants before they go up to the mountain, he says, we will come back. And then later on, Isaac says, you know, where is the burnt offering that we're supposed to sacrifice? Well, he says, God will provide that for us. And so he was certain. I mean, for us, when we look at it, we say, well, he's probably going to be killed. But for him, he was very confident that this wasn't going to end the way that God initially told him it was going to end. But when he arrives on the mountain, there is no sacrifice yet. So God binds him up, sticks him on the wood and is about to kill him. And then that's where we, God said, or the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, and he tells him not to lay a finger on him or not to lay a hand on him. So he stops him from doing that. And so after doing that, he sees this ram out in the thicket there and he's able to sacrifice that instead. But I think through all of that, I think what God really saw in Abraham was that Abraham was really willing to do whatever he needed to do in order to follow God. Um, and you know, and so I, I think with Isaac, I mean, he, again, he's following through with it. And so Abraham is, was confident that this is not going to end in the death of his son. And that's exactly how it ends. God provides, and even Abraham names this mountain. He says that God will provide and God provided the ram uh, for this. And so God saw that he was faithful, that he was obedient uh, to him. And he reassures him of that promise that you're going to continue to have descendants. You're going to be a great nation. Your name is going to be great, because you were obedient to what I asked you to do. And so now what I think that is key to Genesis 22 is why God would do all of this in the first place. And he really did it to test Abraham, to really see what Abraham was made of, to see what the value of his faith really was in his life, to see what he's made of, to see if his faith is more than just words, that it's actually action, So again, it's not just a good saying, like, I believe in God or I trust in God, but he actually brought an event into his life where he was going to see if he truly believed that and if it was going to actually play out in his life. And now the truth is, is that all of us are going to be tested to some extent uh, in our lives, in our life of faith, to see if what we say we believe, we actually truly believe it and that we actually live it out in our our lives. Especially with a lot of us when we say that we're willing to give up our lives uh, to follow after God. And God is certainly going to test that. And he's also going to test different areas of our lives to see if we're willing to give up anything for him. You remember the story of the rich young ruler. He asked, uh, Jesus asked him to give up his money. And he went off with, went off with his head you know, sort of down and didn't do that. And so God may ask us to give up our money as well. Uh, for Abraham, for a lot of Jesus' disciples, or actually all of Jesus' disciples, He asked them to leave their lives, what they knew, to go to what is unknown to them, to follow after him and to give up their lives to make sure that the gospel was spread throughout the world. And he calls us to do the same thing. He calls us to be willing to lose our own lives uh, physically uh, in this world as well. And in other times, God will test our faith. Now, there are times and a lot of us are, are prayerful people. There are things that we've prayed for before. And maybe we haven't seen an answer or heard an answer from God on whatever that prayer was. And so a lot of times, maybe we have to wait on God. We have to wait for God to show up in our circumstances. And so God is really testing our patience. Are we willing to wait to see what he's going to do? Or are we going to try to take matters into our own hands? And in most most cases, when we do that, we actually make matters worse. Um, That's been the case with a lot of stories that we actually see in the Bible. But I also like to point out that uh, that there's a difference between, and this is kind of going to seem a little far off, but I, I think it's it was good to mention it's good to mention this. But there's a difference between when God tests us, and then there's another word that we know, temptation. But God doesn't tempt us. So we read in James, oh, James chapter 1, 13 through fifteen. It says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. And so there are going to be times in our lives where we're going to feel this pressure to want to do something that maybe later on in life we're actually going to regret or to do something that is contrary to what God wants us to do. Uh, That's temptation. And that's something that Satan is behind all of. And what that does is that leads us into sin, that leads us further and further away from God, and it really seeks to destroy us uh, in our lives. But when God tests us, tests us, God seeks to strengthen us and to encourage our faith, to build up our faith. It gives us life. So when temptation comes, that gives us death. But when God's testing comes, it encourages, strengthens us, and ultimately is meant to give us life in our journey of faith. So I thought I'd make that kind of quick distinction there. So it's really he's really wanting to stretch our faith. And so not only will God test us, but life in general, all of us have lived life for for any amount of time. You know that life is going to test you to some extent. And so we know we live in a world of free will. You know people God has given us free will because He loves each and every one of us and each of us has the choice to make good or bad decisions. And so because that's the case, all of us are going to get hurt. To some extent uh, in our lives. And so we're going to get hurt by people because they have free will uh, in this world. And so that part of it will test us. We'll think to ourselves, man, why I'm following Jesus, and why is it that I'm still being hurt by all of these people? And maybe you look at your own life and you say, well, you know, my job's not going well, my family's life is in chaos, and you're like, well, I'm following God, everything should be great. Maybe I'm not really following God, maybe I'm not doing exactly what God wants me to do in my life. And so life will test these sort of things. And so in each of our lives, we've really got to ask what these testing times really look like and what faith really looks like in the midst of these uh, hard circumstances that we all have uh, in our lives. Now, these times, I think, in my opinion, are those times, these testing times, are those times when it is uh, attractive, seductively attractive, to find the easier, sort of less demanding route or less alter- less demanding alternative than to following God or than then to looking to God. So for example, when we have problems in our lives, what is the first thing that we do? Uh, if we're uh, taking the easy route, the less demanding route, we want to take things into our own hands. We try to tr- solve the problem on our own instead of Taking the more demanding way, which is to put our faith in God, to trust in God, that God is actually going to work in our situation. Now, when we're hurt by, you know, as a family member, you're hurt by a friend or whatever else because of something being said or something they did to you, the easier, the less demanding route in all of that is to just cut ties with them, cut off the relationship and say, we're not, I'm just not going to talk to them anymore. And so I'm just going to take the easy route. But the less, the, the, the more demanding route, the more difficult route is to trust that God is actually going to restore that relationship and that he can give you the power or give you the ability to actually forgive them, to reach a point where you can forgive them. Now, financial circumstances, I think, are pretty common to a lot of us. And so when we think about those times, we, the, the, the easier route, maybe it's not easy per se, but I think the easier route, at least in my opinion, is to just work more hours, work yourself to death so that you can provide for yourself, provide for your family, instead of placing our faith in God and trusting that wherever he's called us, that he's going to provide for each and every one of us. And so there may be other ways in your life that you might see God sort of testing you or you might see God's testing in in play uh, to see if what you really believe about him or what you really believe about your faith is really true, that you actually live that out in your lives. And so it might be going on in your life, might be going on in the life of someone uh, you know, uh, but again, what does faith look like in the midst of all of this? And we're given a biblical definition of it, and last week I think I brought it up. So faith is, the conf- is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so that's, it's a really good. It's, you know, we, we trust in the Bible. It's the truth to us. But what does that like, look like, practically speaking? Like we can, we can recite verses all the time, but what does this really look like when we actually live it out uh, in our lives? And so hopefully I'm going to try to do that. And so you still may think, well, that's still kind of like theoretical. It's still kind of like up here in the clouds. It's not really like a practically living out of it. But I I think faith is active confidence in God. And this is confidence in a God who's like revealed himself to us. That you could actually speak to him. That you can read a book that tells you a bunch of uh, accounts of people who have experienced God. We have been at points where they were so anxious that they were going to take, or sometimes they've taken matters in their own hands, but maybe they decided to wait a little longer and God still acted. Or maybe God had some weird way of going about things. Uh, There's Naaman with, the, with Elisha, I think. Yeah. He goes and dips himself in the water like seven times and is healed. But he thought at first, that's a weird request. Why am I going to do that? And so sometimes God uses, this, uses weird sort of ways to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And so we have a book that tells us all of those things. And life in general, for those of us who been, or are followers of Jesus, we have seen God's faithfulness in our lives as well. And so we have to be actively confident in those very things, that there's a book that tells us about them. And then we all have lives that are testimonies of God's grace or God's work uh, in our lives and in our world. Now, there's another way to look at this. Is now, Say you're, you, know, you look at a, a scripture passage like Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6. You know, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So someone who has this active confidence in God, if they were to take that verse, they would say, in every area of your life, whatever decision you're about to make, whatever stage of life you're about to go to, when you think about a verse like that, you acknowledge God first, before you decide to take that step. So if it's starting a new business, if it's starting a new job, starting a new grade level, going into some other uh, area of teaching or whatever it is, that we acknowledge God in that and we are confidently expecting Him to work in whatever way it's going to work, even if we don't know what's actually going to happen, what may come of this job or this opportunity or this new company that we're doing, whatever stage of life that you might be in. And so it's holding on to, you know, maybe a scripture passage, or maybe it's holding on to God's work in your life, holding on to that and waiting to see how God is actually going to work or how he's going to answer your prayer request or whatever else. And I think for Abraham, I think that was evident. You know, I think in many ways, I'm sure uh, he could see how God was maybe working in his life, how God may have been challenging him, especially in this part of his life to see what he's made of, to see if his faith is really what he says it is. But in Genesis 22, the very thing that God promised Abraham was in jeopardy. This promise was about to be voided. It was about to be canceled. It was about to go away. He was about to kill his son. And so I think the deep question here, uh, or I think it's being asked here and might be asked of us as well, is that would Abraham still be following God if he fulfilled this command that we just read in Genesis chapter 22? If he actually killed his son, would he still be following God afterward? Now, we we might ask the other question, is that throughout his whole life, was he following God because of uh, this promise, only because of this promise? Or was he following God simply because he actually loved God and wanted to follow God in his life? And I think the challenge for us, a question we all have to ask, is that are we willing to follow God if there's nothing in it for us? Now, what if God never answered another prayer in your life? Uh, what if you, you uh, constantly had a life that wasn't that great? You had a terrible job, your family was always in chaos, but you were still following God. Would you still choose to follow him if there was never a benefit to you? If he never answered a prayer and a promise was never fulfilled in your lifetime, would you still follow after God? And you see, I think for uh, God's ultimate uh, purpose in testing Abraham and testing us is to see what our faith is made of and what we're willing to give up for the sake of knowing God uh, and seeking Him fully in each and every one of our lives. And so we we demonstrate our faith, confidently confidently expecting God to work in whatever way He wants to work. And sometimes those requests, the requests He makes of us, where He might call us to go, what He might ask us to do, it might not make sense. It may be illogical uh, to us. But we've got to trust that God is wise enough or the wisest person to make good and wise choices for us in our lives because he knows what we need. And so we, when we pray sometimes, you know, we, we say, well, this is what I want. And he may not always give us that. He may not give us what we expect. He may not work in our lives the way we expect. And so in all of those times, we just have to be able to trust him Uh, in those areas of our lives.